Welcome, everyone, to the Our Strange Skies podcast. I'm your host, Rob Christofferson, and I'm joined today by one half of the podcast, Ghosts and Hoes. Z, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I am honestly so stoked to be here talking about this today. So, like, this, the way this episode came together is through the wonderful Stephanie Quick, past guest of this podcast, uh, through Twitter specifically. So the first thing I have to ask is, what was your initial reaction when I said, uh, quote, would you be interested in appearing on the podcast for an episode about a flat-topped alien carrying a small disco ball who floated into a hotel in Argentina and scared a woman? Immediately, yes. Immediately, yes. That's what we do over on my show. We talk about, like, uh, true crime and all things paranormal. And I love finding these obscure little cases and so when you when you when you explained it that way when you were just the way you laid it out i'm like there's no part of me that would ever say no to that because that description is exactly one that i would give and <laughs> i am yes you've listened to my show now you know yes <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just like the, the perfect way to put it. And that's like the perfect way to explain it, because it's like there really isn't you could add a few details there, but that pretty much is the gist of this case. Um, um, so the case that we're bringing to you today is uh, it's uh, one of its original names. It's probably the most boring name. Uh, the anthropomorphic entity at Via Carlos Paz. But for the sake of shortness, we're calling it the pretzel case. Yes, because the you know the witness's last name is Pretzel, which I I think is great. Um, I uh, ten out of ten uh, for last names. I'm putting it up right. there. I never mm-hmm. knew that that was a surname, and now mm-hmm. I'm a little upset it's not mine. Right. I love I love a soft pretzel. I got yes. one because this case I was staring at the word pretzel so frequently while doing research. I'm like. Well, now I really want one. And if I don't get a mall pretzel, I may, in fact, lose my entire mind and go fully feral. Yeah. Which seems a little dramatic, but I love carbs. So <laughs> carbs are great. Bread's good. Uh, it's all good. You know, all good. Um, um, and I found in I believe it was only one article. This case was referenced as the night visitor. Yes. And in. I tried to find other podcasts that had talked about it and could find nothing, at least no English language podcasts. And I'm not sure if there were any in Spanish because I just I looked and couldn't find anything. So here yeah, we are. that's one of the one thing that, that comes up that we bring up on this podcast every now and then is kind of the barrier to how well known a UFO case becomes. And generally that barrier is English. If it's not in yeah. English, most people don't know it. And um, we did an episode uh, called the Soria abduction. It was a Spanish case. And the only thing that had been written in English at the time was a three-part article by um, 
Antonio Rivera, who's a well-known Spanish ufologist. And the thing is, if I hadn't been directed to other sources, I wouldn't have known that it was a hoax. A complete and total oh, hoax. Son of a... So yeah. And so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this case, The Night Visitor, I think that's a Scott Corrales special because I know he wrote a lot about this case. Yeah, I think uh, so. I think that was the one I where I found it was Scott Corrales. Um, yeah. But it's such a cool sounding name to hook people in i'm like way to go scott but how how that didn't work in this case i don't know so when i covered it on my show um that's how i put it in the show description i called him the night visitor and it was the pretzel what is it ce three yeah uh close close encounter the third kind yeah that's what that stands for Thank you. Um, I yep. had no idea where that came from. <laughs> I was like, yeah. So the the, uh, the classification system uh, when it comes to like you know the nerdy ass classification system was devised by a guy named J. Allen Hynek, and he had like six classifications. Uh, but the three most important were close encounter. The first kind is like a UFO sighting within like a thousand feet or so. Okay. Close encounter. The second kind is a. a is when trace evidence is left behind, whether, you know, like scorch marks or like landing marks or something like that. And then the third kind is when you see humans and it goes up from there. It gets, it gets a lot weirder from there. Um, but yeah, it's, um, that's, that's what the CE3 part of that means. Okay. Thank you. Cause I had, again, no idea. I was so, like, it just, yeah. my mind was boggled. And I also, <laughs> it made me, uh, work a little harder for some information which is always a delight mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes, it is. Well, sometimes it's not but this time didn't get th- to that point only one time when i made it much harder on myself but that's just who i am as a person <laughs> that's what we do that's what we do for your entertainment people is we make things hard on ourselves it's every time true but i almost learned how to um convert a scanned pdf image into english from spanish i got it to work but it also didn't it didn't work well <laughs> so i'm i'm one of those dedicated nerd people who will um because of where i found the articles thankfully you could copy and paste the pdf so yeah. like um i basically did that into a google doc and it's like this is a god-awful translation but i'll make it work like, yes, and then you gave me that information. Yes, I thank you because it was gonna drive me absolutely bananas. Yeah, if I like, yeah. I set it aside and I was like, we'll come back to this just because I'm curious. <laughs> and a lot of stuff gets a uh, real uh, weird in translation sometimes, lost mm-hmm. or um, wrong. <laughs> Just yes, depending on what you're using to translate. Um, so everyone that translated every article except the one that I had questions about, you did. So again, thank you for ba- figuring out the gist of what that missing article was. Because again, I was about to go like full yellow wallpaper over it. <laughs> just like no problem. I'm I'm you know I'm dedicated if if nothing else. And thank God the resources are out there if you know where to find them. Yeah. Uh, so 
for this case, we head to the city of, of Via Carlos Paz, uh, which is located in the Punilla Valley. It's approximately 24 miles from Cordoba, which is like one of the biggest cities in Argentina. There's like I think it's like three million people live there and then like the suburbs and stuff. But um, it's very old. It was established uh, by the Spanish in 1573. So been around a while, been around a long while. Yeah. Um, Villa Carlos Paz is a city with a population of about 75,000 today. It was about 50,000 at the time of this incident or so. Um, and it's known for tourism. Uh, according to Wikipedia, quote, popular tourist activities include bathing in one of the many rivers, fishing, evening shows, kite surfing, windsurfing, hiking, and mountain biking. Um, um, and don't forget the giant wooden cuckoo mm -hmm. clock. In the center of the city. Yes. Uh, it is one of the biggest tourist attractions of Via Carlos Paz. It's this giant, huge-ass cuckoo clock. The pictures of it are stunning. It's, it's a nice-looking clock. It is. It's And I knew they said it was big, but I did not fully grasp it until I looked at a picture. I'm like, oh. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, it feels like one of those roadside attractions here yes. when you take a road trip it's like the largest ball of twine you're like yeah. what i'm like but also okay I'm like i got, got an hour to get there and see that for whatever reason and i found a uh, this banger quote from welcomeargentina.com about this clock quote it has transcended the fact that it is a clock that strikes the hours and shows a huge bird coming out of the upper trap door in its sphere. It has become a tourist icon in the village and has caused controversy as far as the beauty of the bird is concerned. End quote. <laughs> Are we body shaming the wooden cuckoo bird? I think so. I really think so. Unnecessarily hateful and petty. Whoever wrote that has a vendetta that I have questions about <laughs> yeah yeah like it's totally like made me question if i ever want to go to argentina ever right i'm like oh never mind yeah like i have to now i want to look at this bird again i did not look at it closely yeah i think you gotta you know take a second look at the bird and see if it's really worth the shame that it's getting um because i don't think it is i don't either no I, it's a cuckoo clock. What all do you want from it? Right, exactly. Like it does, it does what it's supposed to do. And like, right. it looks you know, like a normal cuckoo clock bird. Like it's, yeah. I don't see why you, you have to point it out. It, it is just a, whoa, it zoomed in a little bit more than I was expecting. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's just a bird. I don't know any reason to be particularly hateful about it yeah like i need you to be specific author of this factoid Why yeah exactly exactly did it, um did it kill your family like what is why why what did why this God? bird do to you how did this bird hurt you Ow. it just like makes me think of family guy with peter and the chicken just <laughs> like <laughs> okay weirdo yeah. Of course, you know, if you go to Via Carlos Paz, maybe, just maybe, you'll run into the night visitor, but I doubt it. I doubt it. I don't think the night visitor has been seen since. But um, the story centers around a motel on National Highway 20 called Motel La Cuesta. 
And La Cuesta in Spanish is a word that means hill or slope, uh, which is kind of, uh, it's fitting for kind of where it is. It's kind of a little, ground's uneven there. I wouldn't say it's, it, there's some slope happening there for sure. Yeah, especially, especially back then. Yeah. When it was mostly, from what my research told me, it was like a little bit of a commercial area at the time. Yeah. Um, there were residential how they were like houses there but not yeah that was like the whole situation it was like you know a few motels scattered here and there and then a lot yeah. of uneven terrain yeah around especially around the motel they called it like a waste site i think yes like yeah. potholes and dirt rocks trees brushes all sporadically placed places inconveniently if you're trying to drive there which you couldn't yeah it's not then. I don't I you it may have changed now since it's a little more modern. They just recently, within the last 20 years or so, I think put streetlights in mm -hmm. that area. Which is good. Yeah, it like it seemed like one of those kind of areas and specifically this is kind of like a couple a few kilometers from the center of Via Carlos Paz. It seemed like it was it wasn't as developed as the rest of yeah. the city yeah. was. I think it was only like a quarter of a mile or so away from the city yeah. center. So like, obviously at the time it hadn't been completely built up and commercialized, but if you wanted to go visit and stay just outside of the city, La Cuesta would have been the perfect motel. <laughs> it would have, it would have been it. And if you want to go visit it, you can today. It's called Hotel La Cuesta now, but you can still go visit it. It's um, it doesn't have a very high rating. It's got like a three and a half, which is fine. It's fine, yeah. you know. It's like a like a like a La Quinta. Yeah, in, like the Red Lion. It's it's fine. Yeah, it has a bed and maybe a shower and a bathtub. That's you know just yeah. bare bones. It's not like super fancy, but no. if you're out, if you're ooting a boot sightseeing all of the hills and cuckoo clocks then it's just a nice little place to rest your head maybe <laughs> yeah yeah exactly uh so like yeah this area kind of just like everything's kind of like spread out for the most part they do have like one uh person who lives in a house kind of like next door not too 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 far away but like there isn't a lot of occupancy in the motels in this area at the time because we're heading into winter and like a lot of the touristy stuff that um, Via Carlos Paz is known for is it kind of like, you know, has dried up by this point. But like, um, yeah, it's just um, it's a very it's a very liminal area for, you know, the time, uh, the place, like the perfect place for something weird to happen. So. At 1.05 a.m. on June 14, 1968, Pedro Jacobo Pretzel, 39 years old, the owner of Motel La Cuesta, was returning to his place of business when he saw two red stationary lights in the middle of the road. Uh, and he saw them from about 400 meters away or about 1,300 feet ahead of him. And his first assumption was that eh, it must be a car just like stopped in the middle of the road. Uh, but as he got closer, he realized that uh, these lights were about uh, 1.4 to 1.5 meters apart or about, you know, or in the air. So like this thing's these lights are about five feet in the air or so, like very weird, like definitely not yeah, a normal 
they were too far apart mm-hmm. to have been the actual taillights of a car because yeah. my math which again is terrible but my very basic conversion thank you to google was like they were something like 18 feet apart i think mm-hmm. yep uh, which if you're still far enough back on the highway and you see those lights you're like oh maybe it's like 1 a.m so maybe they're working on the road or something like some kind of construction vehicle maybe they're like oh Mm -hmm. sure but then when you get closer you're like oh absolutely not because the road at the time was only like i want to say 21 feet across i think and so having that kind of vehicle in the middle of the road even at 1 a.m a little bit of a weird choice yeah it's taking up a little bit too much room and yeah maybe you could bank on not much traffic happening but hey guess what you're gonna run people off the road and that's not that's not cool at all like uh so frowned upon yeah yeah um uh this is a direct quote from pedro uh the, the two red lights were reflected on the surface of the highway and, as he now felt, pertaining to some structure which, due to the darkness, he could not see clearly, but assumed it might be a, a stationary harvester or some big mobile vehicle. So, yeah, the, like, whatever this is, it has to be huge, especially for lights that are that high off the ground. Um, yeah. So... The interesting thing was, is, like, he just put it out of his mind, pulled into his motel, and you know, just decided to, you know, go about his day. And, the, and like, that's the, uh, you know, there's the the term, like, paranormal apathy. Is that what this is? Because, like, if I saw lights that huge, I might be a little more curious. But maybe I'm not. If there's some, like, an apathy situation here, that yeah. could be what's going on here. Yeah, but, I also kind of wonder if it's, like, to piggyback on the paranormal apathy thing, I know a handful of people personally that have experienced paranormal activity but they always write it off as something totally mm-hmm. normal because the idea of it being something otherworldly perhaps uh scares them too much yes. and they just don't want it to be that they're like i just don't i refuse to accept it i'm like well, okay so maybe he was like you know what? Not right now. <laughs> I don't no. not know. We're just gonna accept that there's two very large lights in the sky right in front of my motel and ignore it. It's not my business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh so the door's unlocked, which was odd because it should be locked up by now. Um, and he walks in, he walks where he walks in in this hotel is uh, where the dining room meets the bar area, essentially. And he notices that the kitchen lights are on, so he walks around, is, uh, finds that odd, too, and he notices that the um, laundry lights are on. So uh, Pedro's daughter, uh, Maria Alodia, was uh, you know running the motel that night. She was described as a responsible woman, you know, holding down the fort all the time. So... You know, he, he went to go track her down, see what she was doing. Uh, and I want to quote again here. This is from a, a series of articles that uh, investigator Oscar A. Galindez wrote about this case. Uh, quote, he called out to his daughter, thinking that they must still be up and about. But there was no reply from her. 
Then, when he went into the laundry, he found her on her knees on the floor, huddled over a divan, her head between her hands and her elbows propped up on the divan. She was conscious, but in the throes of a powerful nervous crisis, which uh, sounds like me most days, to be honest. Um, I, I related to that. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I get it. Yeah, I get it. totally. Uh, at first, she was quite unable to reply to his questions. She was distraught beside herself. Then gradually, she brought out her first words. A man, a man. And I totally get it. Totally fucking get that. Um And she started to try to tell him what had happened, but her emotional state was now changing fast. And finally she burst into tears. So yeah, that's, um, ah, yeah. Especially as a dad Mm -hmm. coming back and finding your daughter in a 19 year old daughter in Mm -hmm. a very, uh, distraught state when she all alone in kind of the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I imagine an immediate freak out, at least mentally, would have taken place in Pedro's mind, be like, oh no. Mm-hmm. And then he did like search the whole motel. He went into the cellar, walked around the whole place to try and see what was going on. Nothing. Yep. Yeah. Which, uh- would be also so very terrifying like in the Mm -hmm. middle of the night something a man has upset your daughter to the point of being on her knees sobbing in the laundry room and you can't find anything very scary (laughs) yes absolutely so yeah he's thinking that there's an intruder somewhere and he he heads outside for a second he notices that the red lights are gone so he can't see him anywhere um, but he runs back inside and um eventually Maria gets to she she composes herself and she th- the story that emerges is if someone made it up, holy hell, they they know the UFO shit pretty damn well because oh. it's not very logical it's very strange it, it it's 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 a story like you really have never heard before yeah um, and for someone to make it up on the spot like that mm-hmm. would be impressive like yes she would have had a solid career in improv oh had, absolutely if that were the case because i i don't think it is i don't think Mm-mm. So at, at 102 a.m., Ma- Maria Aloria Pretzel, the eldest daughter of the Pretzel children, had seen a couple of guests off and was in the process of locking up for the night. She turned off the main lights of the dining room, leaving the fluorescent tubes at the front of the room on. And the dining room is essentially the first room that guests of the motel see when they first arrive. It's like the f- most frequently used door um, because it's right next to the car park. And when visitors first enter, the dining room is to the right, bar area is to their left. Uh, Maria closed the side door, though she couldn't remember if she locked it or not. And she headed into the kitchen where she would make her way to the back door to lock it. And as she was about to lock it, a strange brightness shone through the serving hatch, and it had a strange blue hue to it. Assuming that someone or her father 
had had returned, she decided to walk back out there and see what was going on. Uh, emerging from the kitchen door, quote, Maria Alodia beholds in front of her a being slightly over two meters, which is six and a half feet tall, high. Uh, she would later say that they were somewhere between 2.06 and 2.11 meters tall, which is between six foot seven and six foot nine, uh, dressed in shining blue one-piece suit made of material that gives the impression of having scales. The garment covered the whole body from the neck downwards, including the hands and feet, and fitted the anatomy of the entity's body closely. So, very tight-fitting. Very tight-fitting. It was... Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, oh, oh my. Oh my. How did I... Because I, I truly, truly hated that when they were talking about him. I was like, you're telling me that this 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 strange man is pushing seven feet tall <laughs> in in my in my essentially my home mm-hmm. seven seven feet tall get get out of here yeah get beat feet beat feet hardest of passes mm-hmm. no it's an it's mm-mm. nope i'm only five feet tall and that yeah yeah, it's uh, uh, too tall is the word I'm going with. Um, it's it's too it's too much. The whole the whole scene. Yeah, just imagine like you know running a motel kind of in a in a tourist town, but not really super busy because it's winter. Just walking out and seeing this, mm-hmm. it, it's too much. It's yeah. too much. It's too much for 1968, and it is too much for 2023. Yeah, absolutely is. Like, um, I also compared him to uh, the, I believe, Ukrainian, Russian-Ukrainian singer, Vitas. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. If, if you've ever seen that guy, who also is apparently very tall. I did not know. I was trying to find his name because I couldn't remember it on my show when I was talking about this. Found it, and there are pictures of people like helping him get dressed, and I was like, Okay, I was joking, but maybe? Maybe? They related. Hmm. I'm not saying Vetus is the night visitor, but I'm also not not, not, say, not saying it. Mm-hmm. Not not saying it. But yeah, that was absolutely. what I was picturing, like, the whole time I was researching it. I'm like, hard, just a hard, hard pass. And it just yeah. gets, I couldn't pass harder if I tried, the further into the story it goes. Just yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so at the, the waist of this entity, they wore this kind of slender blue belt. Uh, in his left hand, he was holding a glassy looking sphere, which irradiated a coherent beam of light, light of a faintly pale blue color, almost white. The sphere was constantly moving forwards and backwards and lighting up the whole dining room quite independently of the fluorescent tubes. The entity was smiling the whole time, which... That's mm-hmm. that's the worst part of it. Mm-hmm. Like just when you when you know the whole story and the fact that he's smiling the whole time. No. Yeah. No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Like it would be a me-shaped hole in the nearest wall door. Oh, Looney Tunes all the way. Exactly. Just yeah. several 
because get me away from you. Absolutely. Um, she would later say that he looked like a ballet dancer. Um, yeah, uh, he had a very white complexion resembling wax. He had short, very light blonde hair that uh, was combed back. I'm um, if anybody watches wrestling, I'm getting like Cody Rhodes vibes, which um, just like kind of bleach blonde kind of situation, which um, is the kind of hair that I'm seeing in my head at this point. Um, their eyes were light colored. The face lacked eyebrows and his facial features were Germanic. Uh, again, he never stopped smiling, revealing a set of bright white teeth. Too white. Too, too white. Um, <clears throat> The door leading to the car park was ajar, and this being was just standing there, legs slightly apart, moving his left arm back and forth, which was the arm that was holding the sphere. I'm going to quote this report for a bit because um, the way in which things are worded are at times just like, I don't really know how to, like writing them. I didn't feel comfortable writing them because they're just words that are just fucking strange. Um, so. Uh, quote, her first visual contact with the entity produced two simultaneously ef simultaneous effects on Maria Alodia. On the one hand, she had the sensation that she was being misshapen, drawn out lengthways and made thinner, particularly her face. It felt as though some invisible and superior force were affecting her whole body and distorting it. She explained that the sensation was in a way rather like the effect of those distorting mirrors that one sees in museum centers or a funhouse mirror. Uh, in response, she placed both of her hands on her head. Simultaneously, while experiencing all of this, she was attempting to cry out, but could not. She felt as though her brain was blocked. Occupado, occupied, was the actual term that she used. So that all she managed to do was raise her hands quickly to her head, and there she stood, motionless. Then she heard inside her ears as though there were a loudspeaker or a transistor radio fixed inside my ears a clear and rather grave voice which kept repeating don't be afraid don't be afraid uh, okay dude your approach here is just so bad right now like you are terrifying and like you know aliens always say this don't be afraid bullshit and i just i don't buy it like i think you need to come up with a new strategy because like it's the same thing every single time like maybe start with something like hey i'll take you to dairy queen after this or something like that give me a reward just, just, don't number one don't tell me what to do because absolutely very i hate it in general but also you can't tell me to not be afraid when you're in my home out at 1 a.m. in a skin-tight unitard waving a weird glass-lighted ball around mm -hmm. and smiling the whole time like the yes. gentleman from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Not being afraid is not an option right now. Mm. Too late. It's far too late. The second you came in here, there was no other choice but to be absolutely terrified of what was happening. Yes, yes. They uh, called him a midnight leotard wearing weirdo with an Indrid cold face. Yes. <laughs> I mean, he kind of he kind of reminds me of Zool. Like he's got a Zool vibe to him. The Unitard specifically, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. 
just Zul, there were no, there were no goes or there were no smiles. And no. there was, but uh, yeah. I don't, I don't like it. No. I just don't. Cause it's like, instead of telling me to not be afraid, why don't you tell me what you want and why you're here? Yeah. Like, hey, I know you're freaking out right now. I get it. But, and then mm -hmm. proceed to tell me whatever potentially horrifying situation yeah. is about to happen. Yeah, Just, like, I, I, I think they, I think they could, um, you know, do with like, Going and and like going to one to therapy to learn how to communicate better for mm -hmm. one and yeah. and two just tell me what your wants and needs are. It's just going to make things a lot easier for me if I'm in this situation. And yeah. give me a timetable. How quick exactly. is this going to be? How scarred am I going to be? The answer is extremely every yeah. single time. Uh, but like you know, communication is like it's, it's got to be better. Yeah, communication is key. Yeah. Um, in every dimension mm -hmm. and every universe yes. or at least it should be just i hate surprises buddy so yeah. we've already started off on the wrong foot entirely because right. you surprised me don't do that maybe you know maybe you just knock before coming into my residence just a little yeah. like yeah. hey buddy totally fine right. that would be, i mean i'd still be very sketched out by seeing that yes again in the middle of the night in almost the middle of nowhere be like what is happening is there some kind of traveling circus in right. the area or what what is he a juggler i don't know like what is crapping right now exactly explain yourself that's all exactly. i that's all. I mean, I really all I want is for this to not be happening. But since it is, give me some, give me something to go off of aside from uh, pants shitting terror. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the fact that he knows Spanish kind of makes me think he know he knows a little more about humans, and he should have just like you know been straight up front from the start. But like, yeah. Um, the weird thing is, is in the next moment. She found that her hands were on the bar top, even the uh, which was about uh, two meters away, six and a half feet. Um, she was that far away from it. And the next moment, she just found herself clutching on the bar top. Didn't know how she got there. Uh, what kind of magnetic force is drawing her or is her memory failing her? I don't know. But like, um, yeah, that, that was pretty weird. Uh, but uh, there's this. Tingling sensation that started to go through her legs as if her, um, you know, legs had fallen asleep. And, you know, nothing like the feeling of blood draining from your extremities. So, um, the right hand of the being she then noticed was also producing a light of some kind. And what you're going to find is like hands and feet. This thing's got light coming out of it, just like all over the place. And it is. Oh. And twinkle toes, and so mm -hmm. sparkle fingers and twinkle toes. Yes, um, the light that was emanating from his fingertips and his feet was essentially useless. Like it wasn't mm -hmm. throwing off 
these giant swaths of light that were illuminating the room like this weird glowing orb. It was just kind of like, hey, I got the sparkle fingers and twinkle toes. Like just some little, you can tell that there's light there, but they're not really doing anything. It's just a use, like having a useless superpower. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like what was it? Again, family guy, when Meg gets just long fingernails, it's like, yes. What was the point of this? It, exactly. It's that. It's yeah. that. It, it just seems like somebody showing off for the sake of showing right. off. It's a real weird flex. Yeah, it's totally. A weird, unnecessary flex. Like, it, you, it don't, totally is. you don't need to. No. You, don't, you don't, because I don't think there's any point in whatever he was lighting up just there was no point in having it like why are you doing this yeah uh so like overkill if if there are aliens listening and i know there has to be at least two there's two lessons i want you to take away from this episode one communication is key two less is more simple 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 and you know what i think people will be more cooperative instead you got to make it weird as fuck every single time and i just uh, why does it have to be that way yeah agreed Less is more for sure. That is a solid bit of advice. Yeah. I hope whichever aliens are listening decide to be like, you know what? I'm going to try that next time. Yeah. It's like that old, I think it was Chanel, Coco Chanel, that said something about like, take off one piece of clothing or jewelry, one accessory, take off one accessory before you leave the house. Yes. Every day, you know, like that you can you can leave the sparkle fingers at home. You don't need to use them on this. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm reimagining this podcast as an advice podcast for aliens. And I think that's uh, that's the next step in my career. And I'm going to make it happen. Um, you know, just uh, I think, you know, you read through so many of these things and you realize where they're fucking up and when they could, you know, take some advice and i i think we've got something here but uh yeah um the the right hand of this being yeah it's producing light it's uh kind of emitting flash beams you know it's like very kind of ravey in a sense and they uh this being raises up its right arm which causes maria to fall backwards very slowly in slow motion uh her body was completely relaxed paralyzed and just falling slowly uh she stopped falling 20 to 25 centimeters from the ground and then she began to rise back up slowly to a vertical position at which point her hands gripped the counter again again she had no control over that um and then again the being raised its right arm up And, you know, this time her relaxed body started to fall on its right side. So which which makes it even weirder. She never touches the floor. But again, she returns to this vertical position uh, next to the to the bar top one more time. The being then decides to approach her uh, with this very slow moving gait. Uh, More specifically, quote, when the entity walked, he strode as though stepping out an imaginary straight line, the point of each foot touching the heel of the other. He did this slowly, but in quite natural, in quite a natural fashion, easily, as though this were his normal and customary sort of movement. There's nothing normal about that. There's really no. not. It's no. just really, truly 
not normal or okay. Yeah. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna try and pass yourself off as some kind of human, <laughs> not freak out actual humans, maybe you know, watch a little TV mm-hmm. and figure out how a human moves their body. Cause that <laughs> not it. Nope. That's not it at all. No, not it. Nope. That's not how we do things. Uh, maybe if you're in the military and you're like in parade march, sure. Yeah, that's it. Absolutely. Though. Yeah. Or like kids walking, you know, at the on the edge of a curb, mm-hmm. pretending they're on a tightrope or whatever. Yeah. Tightrope walkers. Yeah. The end. Not normal. That's not the normal. list. There's three. That's it. End, end of list. End of list. End of list. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So when she fell on her right side, that was when she noticed that the toes were glowing too. So they, they got these lights coming out from underneath it, and uh, the light from the glass sphere had gone out, giving you the impression that it was like this dark blue glass. Um, after that, the the words that she had been hearing in her head, the "Don't be afraid," ceased, and then this figure turned on their heel and walked through the door. And they had seemingly come in through. They had to lower their head down to pass through. And with their exit, all sensation returned to Maria's body. She struggled for a bit to regain her composure and stumbled to the kitchen and ultimately the laundry where her father would find her. Following the events that night, she suffered an emotional breakdown lasting for several days. She would often wake feeling a tingling sensation in her legs or hearing the words, don't be afraid, don't be afraid in her head. Um... Maria was the oldest of the four pretzel children. She had three brothers. She was described as, quote, an affable and cultured person and not given to the reading of science fiction. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> she is shy and mentally totally normal. I That quote would just for some reason tickled me to mm-hmm. no end. I was like, yeah, you can tell that this was definitely sometime yeah. in the 60s and also yeah. A- yeah uh and another reason that you could tell it's totally a dude writing this in the second part of Galindez's articles he wrote and described her as a quote well-bred lady <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay um sure whatever okay. okay calm down Dr. Hugo Hugo Vajon, the pretzels family doctor, described her as normal, honest, and sane, and has never had any mental trouble before that. The doctor's wife, a psychologist in her own right, ruled out hallucinations as a cause based on the duration and details of the incident. And many theories have been proposed to explain the pretzel CE3 case. Uh... Uh, For one, three local students uh, from a university went to the motel the next day and decided to take readings, uh, see what kind of radioactivity was going on in and around the hotel. Um, And while their readings were pretty normal, quote, although the average and normal radiation inside houses is virtually nil, depending upon the materials used in the construction of the building, they did find it in this case to be considerably greater than outside, namely four counts per two seconds. Um, and in July of 1980, uh, Galindez and his team would return to the motel and take readings uh, using a scintillometer and found that radiation readings inside the motel were a bit higher 
than outside. Uh, Galindez came to the conclusion that this is because the building materials used to build Motel La Cuesta were mined from areas around Via Carlos Paz, and Via Carlos Paz is rich in uranium. They got a ton of it. It's it's just, uh, you know, they're just. It, it's interesting because like um, a lot of the areas that are usually pillaged for resources are areas, you know, kind of like this where they have uranium and stuff like that. So, um, you know, that's interesting. But the other interesting thing is, is that, you know, particularly in the United, United States, but all over the United uh, all over the world, there are is a history of UFOs appearing over nuclear facilities. So, you know, there is a yeah. connection there little connection you know so we got that going on yeah well it's like the um the weird entity scene at chernobyl right before Mm -hmm. the meltdown which some people attribute to the mothman right which uncertain but just kind of fits in with that like it, it wouldn't be the first or only time that that had happened but i believe the radiation they found they were just like yeah it's here but it's from the rocks that you built this place out of so don't worry about it i meanwhile would be like i'm sorry what did you just tell me my house is built out of uranium yes and yes. that's a lot of for concern yeah sure. <laughs> yeah can what I- are the cancer rates in via carlos paz i'm <laughs> curious can i get a third fourth and maybe 12th opinion on this because yeah now that I know it, I don't think I love it. And I don't think I want to stay there, you know, just. Uh... So, yeah, maybe maybe that's also why the the three and a half star reviews. Like, yeah, got cancer, not going back, you know. Radiation poisoning. Didn't okay. see that coming. No, but if you had read the case, you would have seen it. It's um, true. Yeah. So there was one investigator that wasn't satisfied with the work that Oscar Galindez had done, because uh, when Galindez wrote his articles in 1980, 81, somewhere around there, uh, it it brought a lot of attention back to the case. It, it had a, like a lot of publicity up front, but, you know, people forgot about it for a long time. And then he goes back, he investigates this case. So enter Alejandro Cesar Agost- Agostinelli. The pretzel case, yeah, gained notoriety. The publication of these articles in English, it just got this whole new thing. But Alejandro's first move was to talk to a psychologist and see what he had to say. So the psychologist was a man named Roman Centrangolo. He had he only had a bachelor's in psychology, though. I think it's important to point out, like you know, uh, the 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 one doctor's wife, she had a PhD. So she was a full-fledged doctor. This guy, bachelor's. But um, he wasn't a fan of their diagnoses um, because um, he was convinced, Roman was convinced that this was a hallucination. Um, But he suggested to Alejandro that he should go and talk to Maria Lodia de Lorenzati, as she was known now. And... um, Alejandro did. He he decided to go to Via Carlos Paz. And the way that the second article that he wrote is is very confusing to people who read it because Me, he's just, yeah. He's talking about himself in the third person. He he refers to himself as the investigator. 
Um, but uh, it is him that goes and interviews the um, uh, goes and inv- uh, interviews Maria Lodia. He tracks her down. She's still living in Villa Carlos Paz. And um, he finds her to be, quote, incoherent, contradictory and visibly altered. Mrs. Pretzel explains that she has been in very poor health since June 14th, 15 years ago. He also described her as, quote, a young woman, a woman staring into the abyss of madness. Which, I mean, as a writer, sounds Mm -hmm. written very descriptively and well, like, yes, also. Rude. Yeah, (laughs) like complete asshole. And like when you read these articles and you and you get the full context because because uh i just like i don't even know how i found them like i think i put them into like a ufo database or something like that and they've they had the original ufo press articles which is where um uh, alejandro wrote his two articles where they were published which is ufo press is an argentinian ufo journal um but Alejandra went and talked with some of the neighbors and came to the conclusion that her father concocted the story to cover up secret relations that Maria Elodia was having with her fiancé at the time. Um, And I would like to quote quote now from the article by Alejandro, um, and it's called The Incredible and Sad Story of the Naive Elodia and Her Heartless Father. Uh, You know, just a banger title. Quote, and remember, this is translated, so it's not going to be perfect, but Quote, according to what evil tongues say, Maria Alodia had a secret boyfriend who was visiting when his father or when her father, Pedro Jacobo Pretzel, was absent from the motel. On the unfortunate night of June 14th, the young Pretzel would have received one of those clandestine visits. And at times when her furtive fiance fled through the side door of the drawing room, her father arrived believing that she should bear the discharge of parental jealousy. Poor Maria burst into crying. Noticing the father's perplexity at the traumatic scene, he hid his tears by inventing the story of the gigantic Superman. End quote. Right. It's like, and then I think it's that same article, just another maybe like handful of sentences the way he's like yeah but i don't buy that mm-hmm, like pretty much well then why do you right. fight it as if you do right right there and then be like just kidding and take it back psych yeah that's the thing is like he's trying to be he's trying to play you know have both sides yeah in the argument but the problem is is he's made his judgment up front especially when you read the title of that piece like you know yeah what that he believes like this is the true story um like, i'm pretty sure they're making it up but i don't think it stemmed from her secret boyfriend yeah and like the main reason that i don't buy this is and and you know we talked about this earlier is that the absurdity is what makes the story believable the fact that it just makes no fucking sense and i know like most people you know will think like well you know that doesn't that doesn't make sense in itself but like when you read through these cases over and over again you realize that the um the logic book goes out the door and you you're left with like this this absolutely ridiculous kind of like 
logic it's alien logic essentially that like you know we have this image and and it's one that comes up over and over again the idea that like oh they're going to land on the white house lawn well that's very human logic-y to assume that aliens are going to do that they're going to make contact in some like in like the ways in a more peaceful way than we did with like the first nations tribes or something like that. It's not going to happen that way. Like in, in, you know, stories over and over again, like this kind of prove that like they're absurd for a reason. They're absurd probably to be unforgettable in many ways, like versus like your alien abduction stuff, which is when you think about it, the aliens, when you read about them in that stories, they try to th- put things in more of a human context, whereas these other stories, they don't. And it makes them more like unforgettable in their own right. So, yeah, yeah like, logic, like human logic is not really going to apply to mm-hmm. this specifically. But like most things in the paranormal, you I get mm-hmm. the reasoning behind it, but it's just not. Yeah. It's not really going to work out. Because no. these are clearly intelligent entities on their in their own accord yes. that are going to have their own kind of logic that we will probably never understand. So never. never. Again, I get why, but yeah. You kind of have to just let that go and be like, okay. Mm-hmm. This, this happened uh and that's all i got <laughs> yeah so another thing that makes that skeptical hypothesis unbelievable is that there was allegedly another witness in the area who saw the strange white light saw a strange white light so her name was uh dona candida alvarez paz de ramirez her home was approximately 80 meters or 262 feet to the north, adjacent to where Mr. Pretzel saw the two lights. Um, and like there's a really good kind of like map sketch that shows you where everything is. And like you can I'll throw it somewhere like you can look in the the, the uh, articles and see ex- uh, exactly what it is. But um, yeah, like she ended up seeing this white light outside of um uh quote uh what she saw was a vivid whiteness on a piece of wasteland lying towards the north west from her house and adjacent to both her own property and to the area where senior pretzel had observed the two red lights so really just right next to each other she assumed that her son-in-law had gone outside and had just left the light on because he was doing something so um she didn't go up get up and check out what was going on but the white light is interesting so we have that going on there was one theory that somebody suggested that the white light may have been from the being coming out of the building that that's what she may have seen so that's uh one possibility but uh my time frame in my head she saw the white light and then a few minutes later was when Pedro saw the red lights in front of the motel. So it was mm-hmm. like white light kind of behind the motel. Like not like directly behind it, but yeah. in that area, red lights in front of it. <clears throat> and then that was during that was all during the incident. Right. Um, you think about the white light 
as like the the sphere that it's holding. And if you think about it in the way that he entered the building, it would have been in his left hand, which would have been the side closest to the house. So it kind of it's a possibility. You know, it's it's one theory that's uh, that makes a lot of sense because coming out, it would be on the opposite side. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's one. That's uh, that's one interesting theory. Uh, but one of the most interesting aspects of this case is that, um, you know, 9 a.m. on June 14th, you know, hours after this incident took place, Pedro and Maria would go down to the local police station to report what had happened. Uh, quote, the dossier on the case opened by assistant police inspector Coelho, uh, Coelho was given the docket number 291-68 and headed unidentified flying object. When the father-son Galindez team went to find this report, quote, on the occasion of our visit to the police station, we were learnt to our great surprise that the file on the case had already, long before, namely on June 15th, 1968, i.e. almost within 24 hours of the occurrence at Motel Equesta, been forwarded to the Argentinian Air Force at the special request of the latter. So that's that's pretty interesting that uh, they got that report pretty damn quick um, air force is like hey buddies uh here you got a real cool report this morning yeah. you wanna just uh fax that on over yeah. send it to the overnight courier maybe uh yeah we 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 need we need that right now and the police were just like okay here you go yeah and the subsequent so- in- investigation from the local police didn't didn't happen yeah not really yeah not really uh an investigation there that's just they took the report forwarded it and you know the air force did whatever it did with it Um, yeah and it's just like because it was pointed out i believe in that article by dr galindez it's like police kind of they didn't think it was a hoax obviously because they sent that information to the air force at the Air Force requests immediately. Yep. Um, and they were like, well, there's no, the police kind of looked into it, but not really. It was just more like a cursory, like, well, there's no record of any person like that living here. And no one has seen anybody like that because mm-hmm. they would be real difficult to miss. Just yeah. almost seven foot tall, very, very pale smiling man heel towing it through the city center just somebody'd be like huh well that's the weirdest tourist i ever did see and you know what's interesting is like there are a lot of cases of that happening all around argentina uh brazil chile uh around this time period and i plucked a a handful quite a handful um so uh, and in fact, the same night uh, in Necochea, Buenos Aires, Catalosio Fernandez, a farmer, was visited by a pair of strange looking men. He described them as being thin, wearing tight fitting green luminous suits. Of them, Fernandez said, they were always very amiable. Well, that's nice, except for the part when they uh, just randomly appeared in your bedroom and sat on your bed, my friend. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't care how nice you are. That is still rude. Do yeah. not. It's bedtime, good night time, and I need you to leave, please. 
Yes. And that's yes. the same case with the the enti- the mysterious entities that also did the arm raising and the dizzy making. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Which I was like, oh. Yes. Oh. They made him dizzy by raising an arm. So, like, still very similar to what happened in the the pretzel case. Um, He was already in bed. So I'm wondering if it's because he was laying down that he didn't get the slow motion weeble wobble boppa clown falling thing. Yeah. Mostly. So the activity started a little before that. Um, Around midnight on June 4th, a well-known Argentinian painter, uh, Benjamin Solari Partavasini, was walking home from the theater. It was a foggy night and the perfect kind of night for a humanoid encounter. Quote, arriving at the corner of Avenida Belgrano and Avenida 9 de Julio, Partavasini was suddenly confronted by what he took at first to be a madman, a fair-skinned Nordic type of man, quote, whose eyes were so light in color that it looked as though that he were blind, end quote. This individual detained him and addressed him in an unintelligible guttural language, but his manner was, quote, kindly and even gentle, end quote. Looking upwards on this man's instructions, Partavasini then beheld the fog, and at a distance of only about 50 meters or about 164 feet, close to the tower building of the Argentine uh, Ministry of Public Works, an extraordinary aerial ship with no lights. The painter became very dizzy and in the next moment found himself inside uh, the spaceship. Things became even more confusing as a handsome man began asking him questions in a language that he didn't understand, but somehow his mind understood what he was saying. Quote, the alien told him not to be alarmed. They would merely take him for one trip around the Earth and would then put him down again at the precise spot where they had taken him aboard. A few minutes later, part of Assini found himself observing surface features of what he recognized as Japan, and then France, and then Chile. After this trip, he found himself on the street corner he'd been taken from by those handsome men. Uh, He would go on to have several contacts with these beings in the future. And like, he's not the only painter that has had contacts. Uh, There's an Italian painter named, uh, what was this? What was his name? Uh, Rapizzi? Something like that. In 1947, he had a humanoid encounter that affected his art to the point where he did nothing but paintings of UFOs after that. Like just this well-known painter. Um, His name was Rapuzzi Luigi Johannes. And, and this is like at the beginning of the UFO wave in 47, when it becomes a thing, when, you know, like, like the, um, the, Kind of the age of the UFO is demarked by uh, an incident uh, called the Kenneth Arnold sighting. Kenneth Arnold, he was flying um, to Chehalis, Washington, and he was near Mount Rainier. This was in uh, June of of 1947. Sees like nine objects in the sky as he's uh, flying his plane. Becomes a huge deal in the press. That's kind of the, you know, starting point for the whole UFO thing. But like... Uh, Johannes's sighting was in August 14th, 1947. So not that far, you know, after that particular incident. So sometimes these things appear to painters and they affect the way that 
you know, they end up painting things. So, um, on uh, June 10th uh, in Cordoba, which again is like 24 miles away from Via Carlos Paz, quote, a youth stated that he had been visited by a strange being whose body emitted rays of light and who spoke a strange language he did not recognize. Six days after the pretzel incident, Estaki Zagorski, a 63-year-old Polish immigrant, told La Razon, a Buenos Aires newspaper, that he had been drugged by a man who arrived at his home in a black car. When he finally regained consciousness, he found himself in, quote, an hallucinating world where giant beings were dwelling in an aerial city, end quote. Two tall beings led him to a tower in the center of the city where he sat with tell with 12 similarly tall giants. Quote, they took his arms and he began to trace signs automatically, end quote. Zagorski believed that the giants brainwashed him, but was ultimately returned via black car to his home. If you think that this was his first trip among the stars, you would be wrong because he later claimed that he was abducted in 1953 and brought to Ganymede, which is one of Jupiter's moons. Oh, hmm. well, OK. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, Argentina wasn't the only country experiencing this flap in South America. And I kind of want to hit some of the highlights uh, from a couple of other countries. Um, in Bolivia, between May 29th and June 19th, uh, the town of El Toro became like this huge hotspot for UFOs. The local police had been receiving numerous reports of UFOs in the area. On June 19th, 25-year-old Romulo Velasco witnessed a UFO land and a, th- a tall, thin being emerge from it. He claimed that he was drawn to the UFO as if by a magnet. The being took hold of his right wrist and he lost consciousness. He was later found paralyzed, suffering from a stroke caused by a cerebral hemorrhage. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, around June 26, residents of the towns of uh, Rain, Socane, Tucanas, and Chilaporo, Chile reported seeing a UFO land over the nearby salt flats. The occupants, three in total, were reported to have entered certain homes, taking items, and were said to have terrorized homeowners in the process. No, thank you. Yeah. Like, there's a very... There's a very familiar pattern over and over again, and, like, um, when it comes to Argentinian cases and the ones that I've researched, the humanoid cases... Um, whereas in the United States, you get a whole kind of myriad of weird looking aliens. The majority of the aliens in Argentina look humanish, very yeah. human looking, um, uh, like the Jay Leno looking dude that I sent a picture of you. To. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. yeah, just like a big headed dude with this like helmet on his head. It's, uh, I think I covered that on Patreon at some point, but, um, yeah. Um no. 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 On on July 17th, Pedro de Mafilho, a Brazilian civil servant, was walking on the Sao Paulo Highway when he heard a buzzing noise that increased in intensity. A great beam of light uh, appeared before him and two green beams of light beside him. The lights disappeared, replaced by a horizontal door opening, and four entities no bigger than half a meter or a foot and a half in height appeared. They were greenish creatures wearing something like headphones. They instantly ran toward him. Quote, 
He tried to get away, but found himself held as though by a hypnotic force. His limbs felt cold. His muscles felt strange. His head seemed to be spinning. His tongue turned to stone. But throughout it all, his brain remained active, taking in the whole scene. The beings had the ability to talk to him and did so in fine Portuguese. They seized Dama by the arms and dragged him into their craft. Inside was, quote, a complicated laboratory, end quote. The beings questioned him endlessly, inquiring about the human race and their customs and biology. He was made to undress and an exam was conducted on him, which included an x-ray. The beings documented all of this on paper that resembled aluminum. Quote, Suddenly, it seemed as though they had received orders from some remote control station for lights flash, silent signals streaked across the walls, and the examination appeared to be at an end. Hastily taking him outside again, the creatures informed him that after their departure, it would all remain in his mind like a dream. Terrified and dumbfounded, he stood on the road and watched the craft fly off, followed by a trail of such astonishing luminosity that he would never forget it. <laughs> just yeah don't want it no um don't and on it. august 27th in Lins, brazil dona maria sintra receptionist general servant at the clementine or clemente ferreira sanatorium was awoken to what sounded like large bird wings accompanied by a whistling sound assuming oh, wow. that yeah it's um, assuming that this was a new patient arriving, she went to the front door and was greeted by a foreign looking woman with light colored clothes and a headdress that left her face bare. Uh, she spoke in a strange language, but it was clear to Dona Maria that the woman wanted water as she was holding a beautifully engraved bottle in a mug. Dona Maria filled them up in return, noticing that the woman was interested in some of the nearby cars. She explained that they belonged to a pair of doctors. The woman then walked in and walked up to the fountain. She later returned to her object, which was hovering outside and which terrified Dona Maria. So, yeah, um, that's just. No, thank you. Again. Mm -hmm. No, just no. a solid pass. <laughs> so, yeah, heading heading back to Argentina now. On June 30th, 1968, Jose Paulino Nunez, a distillery employee, encountered two people on a beach in Buenos Aires. They were dressed like normal people, but had a spherical device in which he could see images of people walking about. One of the figures said in a metallic voice, Do you know these people? They were like you. Many more will be like them. Many people in the world will see the same thing you have seen. We will talk about this again. If you speak of this, be sure it is with responsible people. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Uh, Nunez experienced a lapse in memory. Uh, his next memory uh, was being back at the laboratory that he was working at. So he's got some missing time going on there. Um July 1st, the neighborhood of Ricardon was buzzing with stories of UFOs and strange beings appearing in town. 17-year-old Raul Salcedo was walking home after, after a dance where he met two strangers on the road. He, quote, felt himself drawn towards them by the powerful magnetism irradiated by them, which well-nigh immobilized him. 
end quote. He managed to break free and escaped, running to his father and some friends that were outside two blocks away. The next night in Kofiko, uh, Yamada Sola witnessed a strange bright object above the peak of February 20th, which is a mountain. Many residents had seen strange lights and objects over the mountain, but for Sola, he would also see a strange humanoid. At the, at the same time that he saw the object, he watched, quote, at only a few meters distance from him, a strange being about 2.10 meters or six foot eight inches in height, hanging suspended in the air, his body emitting a strange luminosity. The being spun around like a top and began to rise into the air, vanishing somewhere above the peak of February 20th. just spinning like a top it's never unless it's a top i i don't i don't need that no no i don't need it i don't i don't care for it no thank you and like that's the thing is like you read through these over and over again they're all similar beings. They're all these tall beings who look mm -hmm. like they're human in a way. Um, uh, there's this, uh, another story from July 8th near Canada. Aldo Juan Santiago, Espinoza, her husband, Sarinsky, and Espinoza's son observed this kind of luminous object. They were having this midnight cookout. And... They saw this man taking large strides past them. Uh, he didn't speak to them, but he was wearing kind of a one-piece outfit, um, and he had, like, a hood on his head. So, um, yeah, the next night in La Plata, two girls, 10 and 15, encountered, quote, a man from another world who tried to talk to them. He was six feet tall, had long red hair, blue eyes, and wore a one-piece suit with a green visor. Um... There's just a lot of these stories, but there's yeah. one in particular that is that is quite intriguing because there's a, a kind of physical evidence left behind. And it occurred in Mendoza and Mendoza had its own fair share of reports in 1968. Um, in 19th century stories, there were stories of lights appearing in the sky several days before uh, earthquakes leveled uh leveled this town like way back in the day so it's kind of got a, a lot of weirdness going on to it but at 4 a.m on september 1st 1968 um two young soldiers on guard duty at uh general espejo military college were surprised when two young casino workers appeared rambling about their car being stopped by a flying saucer the two were clearly in shock but the story that emerged was very strange the witnesses, Juan Carlos Pecanetti, 26, and Fernando Jose Villegas, 29, finished their shifts at the Mendoza Casino at 3.30 a.m. Shortly after beginning their trek home, their car lights went out. Villegas exited the vehicle and looked under the hood to diagnose the problem. And at the same time, Pecanetti's watch had stopped at 3.42 a.m. He was about to step out of the vehicle when Villegas shouted, Look, skinny. What? <laughs> Which is the nickname for him, but um oh, okay. I was gonna say, what? 
I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um why? Why are we exclaiming that? Okay, that right. makes that makes much more sense now that I know it yeah. is. <laughs> like of all things to yell out. Yes. What context is key in this case? <laughs> it, it is. It is. And and I and we need to, you know, express that. Context is key, which is which is what is which is what you needed with those articles, you know? <laughs> it's so true. Oh dear lord. <laughs> um so yeah, uh before he could actually turn and look, uh he found himself paralyzed. Both men were. Three humanoid creatures came face to face with the men, while two others stood next to an oval-shaped craft, four meters or thirteen feet wide, and one point five meters or five feet tall. The beings were humanoid, one point five meters or five feet tall in their own right, and had large hairless heads. They described their movements as gentle and quiet and crossed a ditch to get to them. In a foreign-sounding voice, they said, do not fear, do not fear. And again, we're at this, we're at this again, and uh, I, I still doesn't have the, the, the desired effect that it, they want it to. But um, of it, Pecanetti said, it was as though they had put into our ears the tiny earplug speakers used with transistor radios. So again, you know, like speaking into the ears, kind of like uh, Maria Alodia. Um, Viegas gave details of a message that was passed to them in this way with all the time, the persu uh, persuasive backing of do not fear. The gist of the message was, we have just made three journeys around the sun, studying customs and languages of the inhabitants of the system. Were it not so, then the solar system would not exist. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they ended this message with a statement that all students and all and a lot of people probably hate mathematics is the universal language. Unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> um, while they were being lectured on the ways of the universe, one of the short figures was tracing an inscription on the doors, windscreen, and running boards of their 1929 Chevrolet using a device that resembled a soldering iron. I'm going to send you a picture in the chat of um, the uh, uh, some of the damage that was done to the car. They essentially keyed their car pretty badly. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. No. I mm -mm. I don't want that. No. I don't want that. And like, if this is somebody with a vendetta and they're keying their car, I don't think you would put stuff like this on a car. Yeah, just real weird shapes. Like, mm -hmm. why? If you're keying someone's car, you're just going to do some swipes maybe some expletives mm -hmm. insults uh just depends on how much time you have probably uh but that is weird mm -hmm. like that no yeah no it was later discovered that the paint in the vehicle is badly burned but there were no burn marks in the vicinity of the inscriptions um 
which is weird. Very weird. Uh, um, yeah. Um, quote, there next appeared close to the hovering object, a circular screen, not unlike that of a television set. On this, there appeared a series of images. The first was a scene of a waterfall in a lush country. The second, a mushroom-shaped cloud. The third, the waterfall scene again, but no water, end quote. Um, and this is like a common thing, especially among abductees and certain contactees, that they will be shown images of like us destroying the world with nuclear um, things, nuclear devices and such. So, um, yeah. Uh, Definitely not down with that. Like, hey, we're going to key your car and we want you to watch our television for a minute. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Again, uh, the uh, a communication and context are, are key in this. Be like, but why? Why? <laughs> I need I need a little bit more information before this continues please yeah um the beings then took hold of their left hands and pricked their fingers three times then they turned toward their ufo and ascended uh to it by use of a light beam the object then rose up and disappeared into space then the men ran for it so they ended up drawing blood from them from their fingers i am not a fan mm -mm. of that yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't care for it no don't don't take my blood yeah please and thank you uh, it may just be a little bit but I would prefer that to stay inside of my body and out of your hands because I don't <laughs> know what you're planning on using it for Exactly. Um, just, just tell me. Just, yeah. just again, just tell me. Be like, hey, um, just so you know, we're gonna just take a little bit of your blood. Uh, we just want to study. We just want to study it. Um, I'm not gonna do anything weird with it. Potential wink situation. But if you just give me some kind of explanation, I would probably be like, oh, okay, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, like. Sure, I consent to this, I guess. You got a form? Yeah. You have to fill that out when I go to the doctor. So, like, hey, maybe maybe pass one over. Um you're uh if you're making an army of clones, can I yeah. have a couple of them? Yeah, is this uh Star Wars Attack of the Clones? Is this what we're right. doing here? I just yeah. it, that's uh, that's my only request. Um if that is your plan, just uh send me one that yeah. I can, you know. And then she can pretend to be me yeah. and go to work. Yeah, exactly. Like I want to go enjoy things. Yeah. Give me the clone. Let me, let me, let me live my life. Right. Um, so there was other strange interactions with the cars that occurred three days later on the evening of September 4th in Buenos Aires. Uh, numerous reports claim that a UFO landed on the freeway. Uh, Avenida General Paz and collided with many cars. An occupant was struck by a car and with the rest of the crew were allegedly taken into police custody. The story was proven to be false, but still, how amazing is that, you know? <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that right there is the story of 
the pretzel case and the other weird things happening in Argentina and, and elsewhere in 1968. Things were weird. Things got very weird. So weird. Yeah, because there were like, it wasn't quite 10 other instances in Argentina alone or like in June of 1968. Mm-hmm. Yes. I want to say there was something like eight maybe mm. of weird alien humanoid encounters leading yes. up to and after and it's just so it's so weird like for that specific time frame alone to have that many recorded sightings no matter how small the reports were but it's very interesting, especially since, and I don't know about the other ones, if the Air Force involved themselves either, mm-hmm. uh, but for them to move in on the pretzel case so quickly and be like, hey, buddies, you want to you wanna send us that report? Neat. Why? <laughs> what, why did yeah. you need that information? And so, so very fast, like. 20 within 24 hours of it happening the air force is just like thank you we'll be taking this now bye-bye yeah you know it's just uh it's one of those weird things where you know the ufo wasn't even the major part of the case because while pedro didn't see an object he got the impression that there was an object there Mm -hmm. like he could see it in like reflecting in the lights that were hitting the ground so like whatever it was it was fairly big enough and again it was kind of the the way that they put it it was hovering it wasn't sitting on the ground it was hovering above the ground like five feet above the ground whatever it was and yeah, it's not even the major portion of the story, but it, it, yeah, like really makes you wonder why would the Argentine Air Force be interested in one woman's weird humanoid encounter? Like what was going on there? And the interesting thing always is um, when cases from other countries tend to pop up like the most sensational ones. Somehow there's stories of the U.S. government getting involved at certain points. Like there's um, there was an alleged UFO crash in uh, Mexico in I think it's the 60s or the 70s. And like the story is that Mexico didn't know how to handle it. So they're like, okay, call the Americans. They're the ones on the scene with this. So apparently the Americans came. uh, American military came, captured this UFO and uh, uh took it to one of their facilities but like in a lot of the literature back in the day it seemed like nobody really wanted to do anything with this so like when um u.s representatives visited other countries they just like hand over ufo reports and stuff mm-hmm. so like you know there's always that interesting aspect but like is this a matter of national security and if it is the military did a very bad job here they did literally nothing you know, and they should be ashamed of themselves. They should have done more for these right. people. Exactly. I mean, the, they, you had literally aliens walking into homes and like, you know, robbing people. Right? So. <laughs> Just. And even if they didn't. 
what? Yeah. But also, I guess on the other hand, what could they do about it? Right. How do you how do you stop a tall humanoid that can somehow paralyze you and steal your goods? I yeah, like uh, don't know how we're going to help you, but we're going to, I guess, gather decades worth of intel, kind of. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe that's why they just want to potentially formulate some kind of game plan for the future, which has yet to arrive. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And um, you know, we don't have stories like this anymore. They don't. Mm-hmm. You don't read about stories like this unless you know there are they are being reported to people who are sitting on them and like you know kind of doing nothing with them. But, you know, it's like those investigators don't like it almost seems like and I I think about this sometimes, uh, especially when you go and you read through all the old journals and stuff. There were a lot of investigators, you know, researching and investigating these cases and stuff. Now that like it's all streamlined and like you can kind of do it on the Internet and there's not a lot of face to face interaction. It's almost like, hey, the aliens aren't interested anymore. You know, they're. They can't affect you in the ways that they used to because, like, you know, maybe it's smartphones. Maybe smartphones have just kind of, like, ruined the aesthetic for them. They're like, yeah, I don't I don't really want to. You know, they yeah. got smartphones and stuff. But, like, it's always going to be weird to me how either these cases don't happen anymore or we don't hear about them anymore, which is... Or we all just automatically assume that they are mm-hmm. someone posting to go viral. Right. Just for internet clout could could be very much real, but with all of the like paranormal programming and everything like that now and like TikTok and Instagram, all that stuff. So easy for anybody mm-hmm. to fake evidence and become like a micro internet celebrity in a certain like niche field. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's why you can't trust video footage and photos of ufos anymore like you could show me that stuff all day long it's not going to convince me of anything but you know yeah, yeah like, like these days mm, no mm, everything feel like everybody's got a hefty dose of skepticism as far as like anything paranormal is related like in the media you should be like mm. so it's one of those things now it's just kind of like yeah have to see it yourself physically be present for it to believe it yes yeah absolutely like this phenomenon whatever it is it's not about photos and videos it's kind of about the experience for the individual going from one individual to the next with whatever these experiences are whatever they're trying to do whatever it is they are trying to accomplish and like hey let's affect someone's life and like that's a lot of what these cases come down to and when you read them over and over again and like the the one question that we can't ask these witnesses is how did it change your life the only one that in this case that we do know is uh maria alodia and she did not have a great life after this and it's largely because of the ridicule factor exactly at least not 15 years it may have been better after those 15 years when she got tracked down potentially um 
But yeah, and the other thing I thought was interesting that um was it Augustinelli, the mm. other the second author, uh that yeah. he did not point out was something that Dr. Galindez did make sure to point out was that her neighbors were all very supportive. And mm. one of them was quoted as saying, if she says that she saw it, she must have, or something like that. And that was like completely different to what Augustinelli had reported was that everybody thought she was making it up. I'm like, well, one of you was lying or omitting facts at, at some point, somewhere along the line. Either you only found people that believed her and didn't talk to anybody else, mm -hmm. or you only talked to people that thought she was making things up. Yeah. But either way, there were there were both of those people, clearly, since a lot of them, you know, ridiculed her to the point of physical illness for yes. 15 years, which is so very gross and unnecessary. Yeah. It's like, you don't, if you don't believe it, then okay. What right. harm, what harm is her believing it doing to you? None. Like it doesn't affect your life either way. Leave her alone. <laughs> yeah. And that ultimately comes down to like the skeptical argument makes less sense than the actual incident that took place because it requires the father to have just like concocted a story that is just so remarkably strange and yeah. lacks all sorts of uh, you know, logic of any kind. The only way that he could have done it is if the dude had combed through UFO journals for like the last, like, and like UFO journals didn't really become a thing until 1954, 55. That's when you have your journals starting to appear and stuff like that. Unless the man was reading on a daily basis, these journals, there's no way he could have concocted a story like this because again, Whenever anybody goes to this alien hypothesis, this extraterrestrial hypothesis, the emphasis is always, well, these aliens are going to have some kind of human motivation to do things like or their motivations are going to resemble something that looks human in many ways, whether that's your White House lawn, uh, you know, kind of uh, theory on where they're going to, um, you know, make contact. But if you go into the case history, they're not making contact with these people. They're making contact with like these people who are not necessarily well off in many ways. They are. Uh, yeah, they're I'm not going to say that they're poor, but it's it's not like they're of like the greatest means. They're they're average, normal people. They're not like well, they have no great power over mm -hmm. anything, really. Like yeah. nothing. Of what? humans would think would be important it's not like they're going to like you said the white house or great politicians or anything like that they're going to basically middle and lower middle class people and like the fanciest they get is artists and <laughs> then you've got like motel owners teenagers random just random everyday people farmers mm -hmm. just children sometimes it's like hmm 
interest like a weird pattern to be sure um curious as to know the reasoning behind that but i don't know maybe it's because they assume they won't be exploited or murdered immediately by those kinds of people Although sometimes they do have bad judgment because sometimes those folks do pull guns and shoot yes exactly which like bad judgment call there but yeah yikes i mean in all fairness had i a gun i might be like who are you why are you in my home what is happening but more of a threat kind of like fight or flight i would just like i said run through a wall i don't know i don't know if i were left with my uh with control over my own body that might might be happening right and and like even when you do read these accounts it's not often that you hear about people running away like there is some kind of even if it's not a paralytic force there's something that keeps them there in the middle of this experience yeah and it makes you wonder exactly as much as i say i would run i probably because i do this with just everyday things i just want to see how this goes i want to see what what happens how this turns out like Mm -hmm. curiosity i think would outweigh the abject terror in that moment be like but let's see because this is something i've investigated for like over a decade just broadly so i kind of you know this might answer some questions right i don't know right and like you know occasionally you come up with uh witness testimony in which the witness says you know had i been in this situation and be able to do it over again maybe i would act differently maybe i would stop maybe i would go introduce myself to this figure and and you know see what they want what's going on you know and all that stuff and it's like yeah like maybe i think you bring your own intentions to whatever encounters that you end up having uh, at, at a certain point so if it is fear that you're bringing to your encounter then it's going to be absolutely terrifying but if it's something else um and you know that's not always uh you i don't think you always have the ability to control that but you know again you bring your intentions to whatever encounter you have it's going to affect uh you know affect how it affects you so you know maybe i guess the advice is the next time you have a, a strange encounter with a strange figure instead of being fearful i don't know maybe laugh maybe maybe be friendly until it just gets unfriendly with them you right. know if that's if that's what happens to it but like you know, bring better intentions to your encounters, people, and and you never know what will happen after that. You don't. You don't. Either way, you're going to have a good story. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's what we're all about here with good stories. Uh, Z, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. This has thank been fantastic. Thank you for having me. It was, like, this case is absolutely wild. No mm-hmm. matter... Whether you think it was a hoax or if you think it actually happened, it's still wild either way. It it absolutely is. So, you know, you you've got a pod yourself, Ghost and Hose. Tell the people about the pod and where they can find it. Uh, well, you can find it anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Uh, Ghost and Hose. We are a 
uh, true crime and paranormal podcast. We cover all things spooky. Um, I usually tend to do more of the cryptid and UFO hauntings situation. Um, Jeff, the talking mongoose, is quite possibly one of my most favorite Mm -hmm. cases in that arena. Um, But yeah, every Wednesday you'll find new episodes. There's always something spooky and weird and strange going on. So we've got plenty uh, plenty of stories for you to uh catch up on yeah and you should absolutely go and listen i spent a week binging your podcast and it's absolutely fantastic so y'all should go binge ghosts and hosts it's it's absolutely wonderful it's it's a joy every wednesday um you can find the our strange guys podcast on most podcasting apps and if you want to follow us on social media and all that good stuff OurStrangeGuys.com. It's like the one-stop shop. There's all good, all sorts of good stuff over there, including a resource page, which, you know, is pretty solid. We built a, a pretty decent resource page. So if you want to find, like, the journals that um, I did for uh, a lot of the stuff that I included, it, you could do that. Um, so I've been meaning to say this for a while, but uh, there was a listener named Renee who sent me a letter, like, a while ago, and it was absolutely fantastic. She included... Uh, an article about UFOs in the in her hometown, and she made me cry at work. And it was great. So if you want to make me cry at work, I have a PO box, uh, which Renee used as PO box thirteen seventy seven Tupper Lake, New York one two nine eight six. I'm terrible about plugging my appearances, but I've made uh, a few in the last few weeks uh, as of late. But um, I was a guest uh, on uh, Caught on the Mic with Michael Clark. We had a great conversation about UFOs. Go check that out. Um, it's episode 90. Um, I was a recent guest on Somewhere in the Skies. Uh, Todd Purse, my buddy Todd Purse and I, we talked about our webcomic, Welcome UFO People. Um, so if you want a little more insight on that, you can go check that out. I will be making a guest appearance on the Botch podcast to play some D&D because I, I love doing that. So you can check that out in a few weeks. Um, as always, I uh, mentioned Welcome UFO People, the webcomic. Uh, you can find it on Instagram at Welcome UFO People and Twitter at Welcome UFO Peeps. And um, we finally have prints available, so you can get your hands on them. They're eight by ten inch prints. Uh, they're on matte cardstock, and they're just like absolutely gorgeous. So uh, I bought all of them because, like, uh, you know, my work. I, I'm glad to pay for it. So uh, I bought like all first seven issues of uh, Welcome UFO People. So if you want to get your hands on them. Go to createmagicstudios.com slash welcome dash UFO dash people. Um, we have, I think, like a limited run of 100 of each of them, and they're going fast. Um, and a portion of the proceeds, are, we donate to the Creative Vision Factory in Wilmington, Delaware. Uh, the Creative Vision Factory provides individuals on the behavioral health spectrum with opportunities for self-expression, empowerment, and recovery through the arts. It's a great cause, and Todd teaches a class there. so. Um, you know, if you do buy a print, it is going to a good cause. Um, Our Strange Skies is a production of Duvid Media. Special thanks to Floats for the use of their song UFO as the theme for this podcast. Spencer Worth Davis is the man behind the curtain. Our logo was designed by Megan Lagerberg. And the great Desdemona is behind many of our t-shirt designs. And finally, don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in Our Strange Skies or wandering into your motel in Argentina. In gray, we trust.